All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the gathering. Make sure that you're sitting at a table with some other people with you. And uh, Hopefully you have a piece of paper and also a pen at each of your tables. Uh, go ahead and hold those up, wave them in the air, let me know that you got them. We're going to work on our letters tonight. That's why you have the kindergarten paper. Well, tonight we are embarking on a new adventure. We're journeying into this strange and perplexing book called Daniel. Daniel is in the Old Testament, and it's going to be quite a change from the book of Acts, which we've been studying for basically the past year. It's going to be a change. Over this past week, I've had a lot of change in my own personal life, Uh, a change that has taken a lot of time and energy, Uh, a change that has taken a lot of focus and discipline, a change that follows me around and has me going new places. It's a change that makes a lot of noise and also requires a lot of attention. I'm not going to tell you what that change is just yet, but in a similar way, the book of Daniel will be quite a change for us here at the gathering. But before we go any further into the book of Daniel, I want to take a poll, not a political poll, but a simple poll of where you're at with the book of Daniel. So I want you to work together in a group and tell me everything you know about the book of Daniel. All right? That's why the paper is there for you. And go ahead and jot down everything you know about the book of Daniel. There's a slide, uh, if you can put that up, please. Barnett, if you can put up that slide. There we go, thanks, man. Oh, uh, by the way, no cheating. Uh, no, no using Google or uh, the Bible or anything like that. We're using your own brains. We'll give it about 30 more seconds. You got to help your group out, man.
All right, pens down, pens down. Let's hear what you have. Um, any group can volunteer to go first. Okay, we got Lions Den. Who put Lions Den down? Who didn't put Lions Den down? All right, keep coming back. All right, uh, Walter, your group. Prophecy, okay. Bart. Good, good. So he reiterated the, the story about the haters of Daniel in, in chapter 6 with uh, the lion's den. He was also the king's right-hand man. Uh, let's hear from, uh, all right, far group. Interpreter of dreams. Good. A lot of dreams in the book of Daniel. Yes, Dan. Good. It's a lot to communicate right there. What she said. That was good. All right. Uh, another group. All right, Ron. Wasn't allowed to pray to his God, was ordered not to, but did anyways. We're still in Daniel chapter 6. Good. We know the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Yes, Jim, your group. He had great faith. Good. Yes, Rachel. Fasted and prayed. Good. Your group again. Let's hear it. Yes, uh, with uh, some gentlemen in the fiery furnace. All right, how about this group, Ted, Trinda, Tara? What he said, I like that. Uh, let's hear from our lovely couple right here. Good. Yeah, exile. That's that's a word I want to I want us to remember tonight. Milady, your group, you guys have something? Prophet. That's that's something we haven't heard yet so far except prophecy. Eric, your group. Handwriting on the wall. One of my favorite stories. You know that saying like the writing on the wall? All right. And Nick, your group. Everything's been said. All right. Well, we've got a lot to go through um, over the next 12 chapters. And there, there's hopefully a lot that we can all learn together and explore together with the book of Daniel. Uh, no one said this, but I'll just point out the obvious. The book of Daniel is very strange. The book of Daniel is very strange. It portrays a world that's very different. Than ours. In the book of Daniel, we enter into the world of kings and harems and eunuchs, of vulgar pagan rituals and drunken orgies, of bizarre methods of capital punishment like fiery furnaces and pits of lions, and 
also we enter into a world of strange experiences with dreams and with visions. The book of Daniel is very strange, especially when it comes to things like language or genre and also the structure of the book of Daniel. Let's look at a couple of these things. First off, the language of the book of Daniel. It's written in two different languages. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, 4a, and chapters 8 through 12 are written in late biblical Hebrew, while Daniel chapter 2, 4b through 7, 28 is written in Aramaic. Aramaic was the lingua franca, the common language of the day in this region, also known as the ancient Near East. Everybody say ancient Near East. The ancient Near East, I have a, a map here. We're going to look at a lot of maps tonight. But this is a basic understanding of the ancient Near East. All of these cultures that were colliding, these multi-nationed empires. We've got the Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the, the Medes. We've got the, uh, the people of Ugarit. We have the Canaanites. We have the Israelites and so on and, and so forth. But this is the region that we're going to be focusing on, the ancient Near East. We would call this today the, the Middle East. So basically think about the Middle East, but way back when. Well, at this time, they, the common language of the day was Aramaic. Aramaic is very similar, actually, to Hebrew, except for some shifting of vowels and also uh, the basically how the positioning of a definite article. Basically, how you say the gets changed. Uh, next, we have the genre, which is very strange. The, the book of Daniel. Is, is it prophecy? Is it wisdom literature? Is it an apocalypse? I think the answer is yes to all of it, but especially yes to an apocalypse. An apocalypse, here, here's the definition, is a genre where revelation is mediated in a narrative framework to a human recipient through otherworldly beings that discloses a heavenly world and a coming judgment. So someone gets information from some sort of heavenly otherworldly being, and this information has to do with some judgment that's coming and also some heavenly world or realm. And it's strange. And also the structure of the book of Daniel is strange. It doesn't seem to fit very well together, as you might think, but it does its job. The book of Daniel has two distinct parts. First, we get six stories about a collection of stories of wise and heroic exploits of a young Jew named Daniel and his three friends. This is in chapters 1 through 6, and it's all told basically in third person. Daniel and, and his friends, who we're going to talk about a little bit later tonight, did this and did that. While the second portion of the book, chapters 7 through 12, encompasses four visions. And this is told in the first person, as received by Daniel. The book of Daniel is very strange. It's about past, present, and future events. It deals with the events of the 6th century B.C. to the events of the 2nd century B.C. and beyond. So a huge span of time is encompassed within the book of Daniel. 
And the book of Daniel is very strange. It's largely concerned with the nation of Israel, but much of the story doesn't even take place in Israel. It takes place in a region known as Babylon. The Babylonian Empire you see here in green on the map. But it doesn't just deal with the Babylonians. It deals with three empires, major world empires. First, we have the Babylonians and then the Persian Empire, which expanded a huge way across the ancient Near East. And then the Seleucids. Anyone know where the Seleucid Empire comes from? I heard it. I heard it. Greece. Yes. An easy way to remember these things, the, the ancient powers, is A, B, C, G, R. I know that's not how the alphabet goes, but it works. A, B, C, G, R. Assyria, Babylon, Cyrus of Persia, the Greeks, and the Romans. Those are the major world empires throughout the Bible. And Egypt is in there all throughout. Anyways, that's beside the point. The book of Daniel is very... Is very strange. You knew what I was going to say. Good. But, but the book of Daniel, as strange as it is, has important words for us here today. It has important words for our lives today. In its own context, I believe that the book of Daniel is meant to encourage and console Jews who were facing persecution. Under the reign of an evil Seleucid Greek king named Antiochus IV, also known as Antiochus Epiphanes. He had this sick fascination of doing horrible things to women and their babies. And it was a tragedy what was happening. We're going to get into that. But what we see in the book of Daniel as it relates to our lives today especially is we see role models. Role models who thrive because they're faithful. We, we see the promise of deliverance in the new kingdom of God. We also see, really important, individual resurrection within the book of Daniel, in the Old Testament. And I think we also might just happen to run into Jesus in the book of Daniel. I think it speaks, speaks volumes to our world today. And so, without further ado, I invite you to stand, if you're able to stand, and we'll read from Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon advanced against Jerusalem and laid it under siege. God, I ask that you open up our hearts and minds to understand what you want us to know about the book of Daniel, this puzzling and perplexing biblical text. Open our hearts tonight, God, and speak directly into our situations, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So let's backtrack a little bit. We've got the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel comes into formation and we have what's called the United Monarchy. Here, here's a map up here showing the nation of Israel. 
This lasted until Solomon's reign. At the end of his reign, the nation splits into two factions. As you can see next on the the next map, we have the nation of Israel in the north, known as the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, in the south. Well, in 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire came and destroyed the northern kingdom known as Israel. The ten tribes were vanquished. And the Assyrians had this really interesting policy of taking all their conquered people and intermixing those conquered people with the other conquered people they had conquered in other places. And essentially what this did was it would wipe your heritage, your cultural identity, your race off the face of the earth. And so that's why we have the lost ten tribes of Israel. And so we fast forward to now we've just got the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom. And it's in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, it would be about 605 B.C., At this time, Daniel would have been a a teenager. At this time, King Nebuchadnezzar, everybody say Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar ruled Babylon starting about 605 BC to 562 BC. And he comes, as our text says, and lays siege to Israel or to the nation of Judah against Jerusalem. This attack culminated in the first of three major deportations to Babylon. They would take people along what's called the Fertile Crescent, because you don't want to go across the Arabian Desert. It's hot, it's dry, it's barren, there's no food or water. So you go across up along what's called the Fertile Crescent, and they would take these people, these captives, to Babylon, present-day Iraq. The second deportation occurred in 597 BC, uh, which included many other Jewish captives, notably a man named Ezekiel. And the third deportation occurred in 586 BC after the complete destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. It was all laid to waste, and the people were brought, deported to Babylon. But in Babylon, the Babylonians had a different system. They didn't intermix the people. They allowed them to live in their own separate area within Babylon. Verse 2 says, Now the Lord delivered King Jehoiakim of Judah into his, referring to Nebuchadnezzar, his power, along with some of the vessels or utensils or articles of the temple of God. He brought them to the land of Babylonia. Is anyone following along in their Bible? What does it say right there uh, at the, toward the halfway point of verse 2? Does yours say Babylonia or something different? Shinar. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Shinar is another name for Babylon. We see the name Shinar in Genesis chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. So who do you think the Tower of Babel is about? The Babylonians? Yeah, that's about the Babylonians. So, uh, the land of Shinar is another name for Babylon. And the vessels or utensils 
that were from the temple in Jerusalem are brought now to the temple of his God, Nebuchadnezzar's God. And he put the vessels in the treasury of his God. But I thought that Nebuchadnezzar would be polytheistic. You know, having many gods because he's Babylonian. They don't have one true God like the Israelite people. We would expect him to have many gods. Sure, he was polytheistic. But the gods of the ancient Near East normally had their own individual temples. When you go to Rome, you can see the temple of Venus over there and the temple of Saturn over there. So it seems like Nebuchadnezzar takes these utensils from the temple of Jerusalem and deposits them in one specific temple of his homeland. I think it's probably belonging to the god they called Marduk. Everybody say Marduk. The supreme god of Babylon. Here's a picture of Marduk on the left. Or it could be into the temple of Marduk's son, Nabu or Nebu, who Nebuchadnezzar is actually named after. Nebuchadnezzar's name means Nabu or Nebo has protected the son who will inherit. So this individual who is supposed to be protected by the son who will inherit or or Nabu who is protecting him goes and takes the vessels or utensils from the temple of Yahweh and puts them into the temple of Marduk or Nabu. Verse 3 through 4 continues. The king commanded Ashpenaz, who was in charge of his court officials, to choose some of the Israelites who were of royal and noble descent, young men in whom there was no physical defect, and who were handsome, well-versed in all kinds of wisdom, well-educated and having keen insight, and who were capable of entering the king's royal service, and to teach them the literature and language of the Babylonians." If you're following along, is there something different stated at the end of that verse in your translation? Instead of Babylonians, you might see Chaldeans. Yes, this is an ancient name for Babylon, for the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. So Nebuchadnezzar commands this man named Ashpenaz to hand-select some young men. Young men who were royal and noble, with brains and good looks. Uh, Maybe if you're a single person, you would want to hire an Ashpenaz too, right? I mean, this is no easy task to find a guy who's royal and noble, has brains and really good looks. That might be a hard task, right? Or not, I don't know. Or you just stumble upon it. Love at first sight, right? Well, these individuals who Ashpenaz goes and looks for are are to enter into the Babylonian king's royal service. They're supposed to learn the literature and language of the Babylonians. The language and literature of the Babylonians or the Chaldeans here refers to what's called Akkadian. Akkadian is an Eastern Semitic cuneiform language. Uh, I almost took a course in Akkadian when I was at Fuller Theological Seminary. It looks like cat scratches, doesn't it? Um, Cuneiform means like indentations, writings. Uh, Can you imagine? Uh, Unfortunately, I I really wanted to take this class, but I couldn't find it in my schedule. Um, I 
I don't know, but it would have been neat looking back. It would have been really cool to say, oh, I studied the language that Daniel studied while he was in Babylon. That would have been cool. Good thing I met my wife before I went to Fuller, right? Verse 5 continues. So, so this is what he's getting versed in. This is what he has to learn. Verse 5 says, So the king assigned them, these men who were good-looking and royal and noble and smart, the king assigned them a daily ration from his royal delicacies and from the wine he himself drank. That's rather generous of King Nebuchadnezzar. Quite a luxury for these conquered peoples. But next week, we'll see how they actually respond to this exquisite food. They were to be trained for the next three years. At the end of that time, they were to enter the king's service. As it turned out, among these young men were some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Their names reflect a Jewish heritage. There's what's called a theophoric element to their names, to each of their names. A theophoric element. Everybody say theophoric element. Okay, we're falling asleep there. That was sluggish. Theophoric element involves taking a name and embedding the name of a god into that name. Why? Well, perhaps to invoke the deity's protection or something. Uh, in Greek, let, let's take an example. Let's see how well you, you do with this. Apollonius. Apollonius. Uh, who do you think is inserted into that person's name? Apollo. Good. The Greek god of music and poetry and, and light. Good. Here's a, maybe a more common one. Christopher. Christopher in Greek is a combination of two words. Christos, meaning Christ, and pherein, meaning to bear. So Christopher is a theophoric name, meaning Christ-bearer. In Hebrew, uh, before we get to Hebrew, I, I want to do another one. Theodore, or Theodora, means gift of God. There, there's a whole host of them, but in Hebrew, I, I think that we get to see a, a different picture uh, there's a name, you can see like this X-looking letter, and then the other one next to it, kind of like a fish hook. That's L. That's the name of God. We have a, a name like this, Gabriel, which is Gabriel. In Hebrew, in English would be Gabriel. Good. You see that little X kind of looking? It's called an Aleph, and then the fish hook, that's a Lamed. Uh, at the end, Right? At the left, far left side, sorry. In Hebrew, you read right to left, not left to right. Sorry about that. Forgot to explain that. Uh, do you see that right there? Yes. So we see God attached to Gabriel's name. Uh, the name means something like, God is my strength. And this next one, let's see how well you can do with this name. Ishmael. Ishmael. God has Heard. Well, there's another name for God in Hebrew, and it's Yahweh. The letter is yod heh vah heh And here, here's a name. When we see Yahweh in English translations of the Bible, we always see it 
the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. The Hebrew behind that is, is Yahweh. Yesha Yahu. Any guesses? Yesha Yahu. Not Joshua. Close. Yesha Yahu. This one's really hard. It's Isaiah. <laughs> Isaiah's name means Yahweh is salvation. So what, what we see with, with Yahweh is some sort of a combination. Yahweh usually gets shortened to Yah or Yahu or Yeho or Yo. So Yesha Yahu, we see Hu attached to the end. That's the theophoric element. Uh, next we have, this one might be a little bit easier. Zakar Yahu. Zachariah, which means Yahweh remembers. Uh, I'll also point one out since uh, she's here tonight. Elizabeth is a Hebrew name, um, but it's actually not used in the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew name that shows up in the New Testament. It means my God is an oath or my God is an abundance. So that one's free, Liz, right there. But back to Daniel. Daniel, and I mentioned these three other individuals, have three elements to their names. Let, let's look at them. Daniel means my, a God is my judge or justice from God. Hanahiah. Everybody say that. Hananiah, sorry. Hananiah. Get the little spit in your mouth. Hananiah. Means the Lord is gracious. Mishael means who is what God is. And Azariah, the Lord has helped. These are beautiful names of identity that these people carry with them. A reminder of who they are and who God is in their lives. But verse 7 says, but the overseer of the court officials renamed them. Trying to take away that whole identity of who they are. He gave Daniel the name Belshazzar, Hananiah that he named Shadrach, Mishael he named Meshach, and Azariah he named Abednego. And these new names incorporate instead the, the God of Israel, the gods of Babylon. Gods like Bel and Marduk and Aku and Nabu. So Hananiah, who becomes who? Hananiah becomes Shadrach. It's possibly derived from Shadur Aku, meaning command of Aku. Aku is like the moon god or whatever of, of these people. Mishael becomes Meshach, and that's probably a variation of Misha'aku, meaning who is as Aku is, the moon god. And Azariah becomes Abednego, which either means servant of Nabu or Nebo, or it's a variation of Abednergal, which is, a, or servant of the god Nergal. Nergal was understood as like a solar god, either as god of the sunset or god of like a, a destructive sun, uh, or also a god of the underworld. And Daniel's name, he becomes, what? Belshazzar. Uh, we don't really know what to do with this. There, there was a Babylonian god called Bel. Um, so apparently that has something to do with his name. 
But I, I want you to just take a moment. I want you to imagine what this might be like. If, if you were Daniel or Meshach or Abednego, to have your homeland sieged, your friends and family slain, to be dragged away from all that you know to be familiar. into exile in a strange and foreign land. Everything's different. Everything is changed. Your, your concept of your own identity is being erased. Your name is even changed. How do you cope with change? How do you maintain your identity when you experience such change? Over the past week, uh, I mentioned at the beginning, I've experienced a lot of change in my personal life. A change that has taken a lot of time and a lot of energy. It's been a change that's taken a lot of focus and a lot of discipline. A change that follows me around and has me going new places. It's, it's a change that makes a lot of noise and requires attention. Her name is Penny. We got a dog. And uh, she's a cavapoo. She's one years old. She's potty trained for the most part. She did have an accident in my in-laws, who I call the outlaws in their house, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, but Penny experienced a lot of change. My wife wanted a, a cavapoo so bad because she's hypoallergenic. Uh, the dog is hypoallergenic, meaning Tara, Tara's not hypoallergenic, but... Uh, so, so she's not allergic to, to the dog, and, and she searched long and hard for this dog and uh, found it in uh, San Diego. And she is such a good business person. She talked the people into coming up to like Fullerton and meeting us halfway, and, and we brought her home. But Penny experienced a lot of change. New owners, a new city, a new home. When, when it came to her name, we actually thought about changing that too. Because uh, I have a cousin who has a dachshund who's like evil, straight from hell. Uh, her name is Penny. I'm serious. Christmas, she came over and we had to like tie a sweatshirt around her face so she wouldn't. I'm telling you, straight from H-E double hockey sticks. However, with all the change that Penny had been going through, we didn't want her to lose her identity. And we didn't want to have to train her and do all that to rename her. But I want you to think about something as we begin to close. I want to spend some time in, in groups. How do you cope with change? Spend a couple of moments and discuss this question. How do you cope with change? And secondly, how do you maintain your identity when you experience change? Okay? Go.
All right, about 30 more seconds, okay? Make sure everyone gets a chance to share. Let's wrap it on up. I know that change is really difficult for a lot of people. And coping with change is no easy task. Some changes are for the better. Some changes we're really excited about. While other change is really, really hard to swallow. It's really difficult to press on through. But I want to leave you with a word of hope tonight, and that's from Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. It says this, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. You catch that? Let's read that again. In the beginning, you, that is God, you laid the foundations of the earth. And the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your years will never end. In God, we have our identity. And it's more firm than concrete. In God, we have our identity. It's more firm than the ground beneath our our feet. In God, we have our identity. It's more firm than the foundations of the earth. I want to challenge you guys as we leave this place to continue with the book of Daniel. I know that tonight might have been intimidating. It was a lot of teaching. It was a lot of stuff that may just fly right over your head. And that's okay. Because it flies right over my head too. But God is challenging us and stretching us to change, to make some, some progress, to move forward in this life of faith. But let's not lose our identity. Let's not lose who we are and what God has made us to be. But let's keep pressing forward in the life of faith. I want to pray for us and I'm just grateful that you're here tonight. Father God, we come before you and we thank you that you remain the same and that your years will never end, that we can put our hope and trust in you and that we will never be put to shame, God. That You don't change like the shifting shadows. You don't change like us. But Lord, help us to hold fast to our identity even in a world that is full of chaos and destruction and busyness and and hardship, help us to remain firm in our identity with you, God. That we wouldn't change, that we wouldn't falter, but Lord, that you would give us the strength to keep pressing forward and put you first in our lives. We love you so much, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for being here. I hope that you'll join us here on Sunday. Have a great rest of your week.